0: Redeem, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, we're making our way through the Psalms of Ascent. I've entitled our our sermon this morning, uh, Blessed by God during the journey home to God. I want you to kind of let that uh, just dwell in the back of your mind. Psalm 128, a song of ascent. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Pray with me. Our Father and our God, we do again uh, turn our hearts towards your word. And we rejoice that uh, worship is participatory. That on the one hand, you speak to us as your word is read. And you invite us to confess and to repent and turn from our sins and to receive the free pardon that is ours in Jesus. And we sing of your goodness as we reflect upon truths from your word. And then you speak to us through your word and through the preached word. This is a weighty and heavy task that we get to eat from the Father's table that we get to eat the manna of heaven, that we shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from your mouth. Would you spread a feast before us this hour? And would you nourish our souls and change our hearts? Would you forgive the sins of the man who stands here before your people? Would you speak through me? And would you allow your people to be built up during this time? I pray this for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Today we're going to be uh, unpacking this idea of blessing, and uh, you'll see it over and over and over in this psalm, but it really does feel like this idea of blessing has either been abused or misunderstood in our culture. We've all probably heard of those who speak of blessing or being blessed, and the dominant idea is is perpetual prosperity materially, relationally, and situationally, and, and it's perpetual, right? These persons uh, are longing or craving for uh, the entrance into this special and sacred season in their lives where everything that they touch will turn to gold. They'll get the new job. They'll get the new promotion. They'll get the new spouse. They'll get anything and everything their hearts desire. And they're haters, right? We'll see them be elevated, right? That everybody who's done them wrong will get to see them sort of be exalted. And, and that's out there as we think about this idea of blessing. And then there's another camp i think there's an overreaction to that camp and they think that that camp has it all wrong it's grossly misunderstood and this group tries to protect others from from what they perceive as a folly in their theology and so they overcorrect it and 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 for them christianity is primarily about the spiritual blessings and their favorite verse is ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. And so they go to Ephesians chapter 1, and they say, no, it's not about material prosperity. It's not about relational and situational prosperity. It's about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And amen to that. And if you put these two persons in the same room and you hear this theme of blessing, they're hearing it and they're filtering it through their grids and they're not thinking about the same thing. This psalm is important because it touches on this idea of blessing. It's about a blessed man. Everything you see in terms of you and your, it's in the singular So it's as if the psalmist is looking at a particular man and saying, here, this is a blessed life. Now, if you're female, I know you're thinking like, whoa, 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 what's up with that, Pastor L? You mean to tell me that women can't be blessed? If you understand Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, for as many who have been baptized in Christ, you are now sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we're one in Christ. And so even though there is a masculine bent to this psalm, you got to understand that this applies to a diverse group of people. And what Psalm 128 is about to do, I think, is Help us understand and orient our lives around what it means to have a blessed life. The first thing I want us to look at is that the blessing of God is both bountiful and particular. That's the first point. The blessing of God is both bountiful and particular. One of the first things you see in the passage is that blessing shows up over and over. Blessed is everyone. You, you see it in verse 3, you shall be blessed. You see it in verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed. You even see it in verse 5, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. In other words, this psalm is a psalm of blessing. That, that's the dominant theme here. And, and what's, what's important to remember is that the source of blessing is God himself. And we might say, because God is the blessing, God is in the business of blessing his people and being a blessing to others. You notice the passive language, right? Look at verse two, you shall be blessed. You look at verse four, behold, thus shall the man be blessed. In other words, this isn't something we aspire to and that we work at and get in and of our own strength. Rather, it is something conveyed upon us from God himself, and he he outright says it right there in in, in, in verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 5, the Lord himself bless you from Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem, the city of God, where God's earthly presence dwelled, and the image there is that where God dwells, the blessing of God flows from where he dwells out towards his people. He's the source. But that first word in verse 1, blessed, is actually in the plural. It could be manifold happinesses, or many happinesses is for everyone. God's blessing is not relegated to one Part of our lives, but they it's abundant and it overflows that that it's numerous, that 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 we can't consume it, we can't count it. That, that, that's what the author is saying. But notice also it's not just manifold, but look at the next two verb, the next two words. Manifold or many happinesses is everyone. And that's the word to underline. You might remember in September 2004 on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and on that particular show in September, um, it was her season of giving, and there were 276 people in the audience that day. And she opened the show by saying, one of you will go home with a brand new car today. And the car was a pontiac i think it was valued at around 30 grand or so and all of a sudden after she announces that people come out from the back of the studio with little white boxes with little red bows tied around the white boxes and so every single person in the audience got a white box and she says one of you will leave here with a brand new car whoever opens the box and has the key will go home in a brand new car. And all of a sudden, everyone opens the box and you can just kind of see it because everyone in the studio had a key in the box and she dropped the bomb on them right there. Every single one of you, all 276 of you will go home with a brand new car. You've probably seen the meme, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car and you get a car but it's teeming with abundance. Not one person left the studio that day without the blessing. That's the image here. That God has a more than enough. He is not lacking in any good thing to do good and to bring about happiness for everyone. And in that sense, it is a bountiful idea that this psalm is communicating but it's also particular this isn't universally true for everyone who does god look at favorably covenantally you'll notice several times in this psalm lord is capital capital l capital o capital r capital d That's Yahweh, his covenant name. Who does God treat this way and view this way? You'll see it. It's not just everyone generically, but those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You see it down in verse 4. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. In that sense, it's particular. He treats the world with common grace and common goodness. Yes and amen. But there's a certain segment of the world that he treats covenantally, graciously, and wondrously good.
1: And it's those who fear him. Now,
0: there are some who would say that this fear is not terror. That it's not being afraid. And and, and they tend to want to rub that off and make God out to be this kind of plaything. And that's not true. That if the Lord Jesus, who's about to drink the cup of God's wrath, sweats blood, and praise for hour, hours to let this cup of wrath pass from him, then it has to be this fearful and, and terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a God who is just of a God who is holy, of a God who carries out vengeance, of a God who hates sin, who does not tolerate it, who keeps a record of it. It has to be terrifying to fall in his hands. And, and that's what you see all in the Bible when people think they come into the God's presence. They fall on their face. When John sees Jesus, he falls on his face as one who is dead. That this fear of God, that it has to
1: include parts of that. But it can't be only that. It also has to move to this awe
0: of this love, of this adoration for his grace and his mercy and his goodness. And his joy and his essence, that it it has to be properly balanced, that that he is no plaything and he takes sin seriously, that he doesn't sweep it under the rug. And at the same time, he desires to bring sinners into communion with him. And the person who fears God keeps these two things in proper tension. And I think this is what C.S. Lewis was trying to get at in the Chronicles of Narnia. The kids kind of go into Narnia, and it's all frozen, and they hear about the witch. They see the winter, and they start to hear about Aslan, this lion who is going to come and and make winter go away and bring uh, Usher into spring. And they're asking, oh, is, is Aslan a man? And he says, no, he's not a man. He's a lion, the great lion. Well, is he quite safe? said Susan. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about Aslan being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see what C.S. Lewis is trying to do? He is not safe, but he is good. And here's the question. Where does the fear of God, where is that burst? Where do we see the essence of what that means? Is it not the cross of Christ? Do we not see the Son of glory, very God of very God, equal in essence, equal in deity, equal in power, who goes to a cross? And do we not
1: see his mercy? and his love, and his grace, perfectly
0: held intention right there. He is just and the justifier of all who believe. This is why that famous hymn, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved," How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's right there at the cross. The place and the path of the fear of God, it goes right to the cross. And the man or woman or child who looks at Jesus and believes we are maintaining the character and the essence of the Lord, and it will work in us this deep, Fear of the Lord that understands both of those things simultaneously. And it will result in a Godward life of love, of honor, of repentance, of faith, discipleship. That His blessing is bountiful, manifold happinesses. It's broad for everyone, and it's also particular. Everyone who fears God. The next point is the blessing of God is ours during the journey home. Now, in Ephesians 1, Paul talks about God's blessing, but it's as if he has a rearview mirror on it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And so what Paul is doing is putting a rearview mirror up and saying, for the believer, you're blessed, but you've been blessed. And the day that you came to know and submit to the Lord Jesus, it was the fruition of God's eternal plan that goes way back before the world. And so in that sense, we can say we have been blessed in eternity past. But we also know that the sense of blessing looks in the forward, in the future. And we sing of this in in this hymn, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. No chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When I shall see my father's face and in his bosom rest. So that song, that hymn, is teaching us to look forward. When Jesus says in John, I go and prepare a place for you, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come back and get you, that you might be where I am forever. That's what that hymn is pointing us to, that right now the Lord Jesus is preparing a new world, a new home, a new city for God's people and sin, and darkness, and sadness, and death.
1: They won't reach that shore. But is
0: that what this psalm is talking about? Is it looking in the past? Is it looking to the future? Or is it saying that God's posture towards you here and now, on this earth, Caught between eternity past and eternity future. What's his heart towards you here and now?
1: We can be blessed during the journey.
0: Now, how do we know he's talking about life on this earth? I think it's pretty obvious, but but, but one of the things that kind of jumps out is this reference to a wife your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Now, now why is that important? Because the religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection, they came to Jesus, hey, this woman has been married this time, and then this time, and then this time, and then this time. Well, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And what does Jesus say? Neither. Neither. There is no marriage or giving in marriage and in the resurrection. You will be like the angels. You won't become an angel, but marriage as we know it will not exist. And so when this psalm talks about a wife,
1: he's not talking about the future.
0: He's talking about right here where people get married and people have kids and people get up and go to work. He's talking about the blessing of God upon us here and now, and so Psalm 128, it isn't denying the past eternal blessings. It isn't denying the spiritual blessings. It isn't denying the future state of blessedness, but what it is doing is is complementing those theologies of blessing and actually saying that God wants to give you manifold happinesses right here and right now on this earth. This is where we can't let the abuse of something harm our experience of something here and now. When it comes to a theology of blessing, the Bible is really giving us an all-of-the-above answer on a test. Like, I love those, y'all, right? When does God want to bless his people? Answer A, it's spiritual blessings that go back to eternity past. Answer B, no, it's in the future where Jesus is preparing a place. Answer C, it's right here and right now. And answer D, it's all of the above. The correct answer is answer D. This means for a believer, you can have your cake and you can eat a little bit of it too right here and right now. We can think about the future. We can marvel in the past. But we must hold to this commitment that God is for us right here and right now. Eugene Peterson says, the Bible is one long exposition of blessing. In Genesis, having completed the work of creation by making human, humankind male and female, he blessed them. He called Abraham and promised him, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Each of the 12 tribes of Israel receives a special blessing which identifies its particular characteristic of vitality. Genesis 49, David, who in so many ways embodied the intensities of joys and faith, was richer in blessing than any other Israelite. A long series of blessings, not without sorrow to be sure, but always brimming with life. Do you think your Abba,
1: your father, wants to be good to you now? I think I forget that sometimes. And I let these
0: two camps that are arguing over this word, I let their arguments and where they're off shape me. And when you come back to the scriptures,
1: I have to fight to believe that, Father, you're always for me, always, that you love me, and you're not just tolerating me, and you care for me,
0: and you want to do good to me. That's what this psalm is reminding us, that we don't have to wait until the end. The last thing I want us to look at is, is God's picture of a blessed life. I don't think this psalm is an exhaustive list of blessing. Neither do I believe that if these things are not true for you in the moment, that you should infer that you're not blessed. Remember, life here on earth can be hell, and the blessings of the past and the future can remain solidly intact? Am I also not hiding the reality that we will have moments or times when it feels like the blessing is unraveling? I mean, just go look one psalm. Look over to Psalm 129. It's not a happy psalm. The hard one. He's talking about affliction and pain, but that does not minimize what you see in the Psalm prior to it, and so it means that we don't always have to, when someone asks us how are you today, we don't always have to come up with something we're struggling with or some problem we're having. It actually means that we ought to have seasons where we feel the kiss and the love and the presence
1: of God.
0: I want us to minimize this. So where do we see the blessing of God? I think it touches three areas. First, your hands. Then your home. And then your name and
1: history. Your hands.
0: Look at verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. The original audience didn't have tractors like we have, didn't have supercomputers, didn't have motors in their boats. They didn't build buildings with the latest technology. They worked with their hands. They planted gardens. They raised cattle. They fished. And the promise here.
1: Is the work of your hands? I'm gonna bless that. When you plant a seed, I'm gonna make that grow. When you harvest a field, I'll make sure you get a return.
0: When you go and fish, there'll be some fish out there. And this doesn't deny drought, and it doesn't deny famine. It doesn't Deny all of these things that can make our, wor- our work troublesome. But what God is covenanting to his people is, I will bless the work of your hands. In other words, when we think about blessing, what we oftentimes think is, God's gonna rub, we, we we pray this prayer, and, and God's like a genie and he gives us our wishes. That ain't blessing. The image here is, you work. With wisdom, with skill, you hone your craft, and God says, you work with your hands,
1: I'll give you a harvest.
0: Sometimes the harvest is bountiful. Other times it's what we need for the day. Other times we're called to save some for rainy days. Sometimes we have an abundance and a brother or sister has lack, and we're called to be generous. But the image here is you will eat what
1: you worked so hard to grow.
0: God says, I will bless your hands. I will bless your home. Notice how the scene changes from out in the labor field his home. Look at verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So now the blessing is is, is coming into a home or a house. In that image, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. I'm like, I don't know if I ever looked at my wife like, baby, you look like a fine house plant, right? That just hasn't crossed my mind, right? Comparing her to a house plant
1: or a vine What's here?
0: This image of fruitfulness is probably talking about children at the bottom. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So God is not just blessing what the man does in work. He's also blessing
1: the marriage bed. James
0: Montgomery Boyce says that we should not restrict this to merely having children, that she will be fruitful in that way, that she will be a source of blessing and enjoyment
1: and satisfaction. This is your house
0: and your wife, not another man's house, not another man's wife, But that for the blessed man, that these will be God's gifts to you is through her. And then it moves to your children. They will be like olive shoots around your table. The table was precious in Israel. I don't know about you guys, but ever since COVID-19 hit, our table is getting a lot of wear and tear on it now. It's where we do homework. It's where we eat most of our meals. It's where we talk about life. It's where we pray through the directory. It's where we, I mean, a lot of action is kind of happening around the table. And and, and what the psalmist is saying is the man will look around his table and see his children, and they will be like olive shoots now, look, I'm not, I don't know what, I, I, I think I know what this means, but do you have that image, Jimmy, or Andre? All right, so this is an olive tree, the, the, the bigger one on my right. And what you see at the bottom are olive shoots. Now, here's the thing. You don't plant an olive tree with an olive seed. You do that, and in 40 years, you might get a tree. Really? The way you plant or grow olives is they shoot all around it. And the shoots that come up around the base of the olive tree, they are genetic copies to the parent tree. And the way you grow olives is you you take a shoot, you cut it from the bottom, root stimulator, and you plant that. And then that which is cut from the parent tree becomes another olive tree that continues to shoot. And it goes on and on and on and on. And so when the psalmist actually says your children will be like olive shoots around your table, what he's actually saying, I think, is God is not just for you, your children, as you love them, serve them, and model faith and repentance with them, as you teach them the scriptures, as you do these things, here's what God is promising.
1: They're going to grow. My covenant isn't just with you. It's with your children.
0: Did you catch the next, the way that the song pivots? It's not just, The work of his hand It's not just the blessed home, but it's also this person's name in history. Look at verse 5. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem for how long? All the days of your life. Look at verse 6. May you see your children's children. You get the image
1: there. That this blessed man... Have an enduring
0: permanence to his life. Did you know that the olive tree is one of the oldest living trees? On the list of the oldest trees in the world, you have the sequoias and you have the pines, and on that list, you're gonna see olive trees. Some say that some of the olive trees that Jesus prayed around when he was in the Mount of Olives, that they're still alive today. They can live 500 years, some 1,500. We think that some have lived for 4,000 years. And so the image here is that of permanence. It's that of you will be around to see these olive shoots grow, and then those other ones grow, and then those other ones grow, that the blessed man will have a sense of longevity
1: to his life.
0: This is a picture of a blessed life. Good, honest work being rewarded by God. Connection and friendship and satisfaction with spouses. For those not married, deep friendships with people who love and care for you. Offspring around your table, birthed by you, enveloped into your family through adoption kids from the neighborhood who you're discipling. passing the faith on to the next generation this sense of permanence that will be around and this doesn't just mean living to your 80 this means living for 800 billion years in eternity that that's blessed Where there is no such thing as death because one has tasted death for you. The privilege to get to see the goodness of God to a thousand billion generations. How is all of this ours? It's ours because one has tasted death that we might live forever and ever and ever. This is the blessed life,
1: and it's ours in Jesus. May we walk in his ways.
0: May we be moved to fear him properly. May our lives be consistent with all that we profess because of God's spirit residing in us. May our sense of blessing not be in the abundance of things but deep relationships, not found in get-rich-quick schemes, but growing in our vocations and passions. Derek Kittner says, The quiet blessing of an ordered life are traced from the center outwards in this psalm. As the eye travels from the godly person to his family to all of Israel, here is simple piety with its proper fruit of stability, Peace. May that be so for God's people. So help us, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, may this be true. Lord, I know that we live in a day and an age where work is hard, where marriages are difficult, where people are dying. And on one hand, it feels like this psalm does not apply, but it does. Would you, by your grace and by your spirit, bring shalom and steadiness and blessing to our lives? May it be so by the work and person of Jesus. So help us, God. Amen.